My name is Zach Thompson. I am on staff here at Calvary Bible Church, and we have a big month this month. It all got kicked off yesterday with our women's brunch. We had uh, 50, a little over 50 people sign up for it, just this time of fellowship and learning and getting to sing carols. Uh, It's so exciting to hear some of the stories coming in from that. Next week, we have two things going on. We have Starting Point. If you are new to Calvary and still uh, figuring out a little bit of who we we are encourage you to come to Starting Point. We have uh, lunch. There's childcare available. It's an opportunity to meet the staff and hear a little of what God has done in this church. What we're excited about Him doing. And I want to invite everyone to come back next Sunday, the 12th, at 6 p.m. for an event that we call Carols and Campfires. Got started kind of out of necessity in COVID last year when we couldn't gather at Christmas Eve. This was an opportunity to have s'mores, to, to worship together, to do some of our Christmas traditions together. Well, we just saw so much joy come from that, that we want to keep that going. So we'll have fun, we'll have some activities for kids, we'll have s'mores, we'll get to sing some songs, play some games, and just be pointed at Jesus in this time. Invite friends, invite neighbors, 6 p.m. next week uh, back here. Heart of Advent is going on. It's a special giving project uh, where we are trying to help uh, Afghan refugees being settled in the state, in this area, our, our partnerships in Haiti, uh, those in need in the city of Thornton. Uh, and all of this is leading up to our Christmas Eve service together, our first time as a church that we get to gather together for Christmas Eve. So excited for all that's going on. And it's a lot of programs. It's a lot of events. So I don't want to lose the fact that each one of these is designed, it's, it's put in place to help us draw near to Jesus in this Christmas season. And it's so timely that that is the case because draw near has been such a big theme throughout the book of Hebrews. We've seen a couple verses so far, uh, so far. Let us draw near with confidence because of the person and work of Jesus. Let us draw near with the full assurance of faith. Uh, similarly, uh, we heard, let us enter into God's rest. We keep hearing that phrase over and over again throughout Hebrews. And not only that, but movement in general has been big throughout the book of Hebrews. I think back in chapter one where, where we talked about how God is so perfect and holy and good and we are so broken and fallen. So how do we draw near when we are so far away from this God? Well, God himself came, a movement, to this earth like us in every way except for sin as Jesus. He died the death that should have been ours so that we can live. And he acts as a forerunner, a movement showing us the way that we are to go, setting the example for how we are to live. And then last week we talked about what our response is. How do we live following after this Jesus? It is uh, uh, given as an example of running a race, a movement, that because Jesus has done all this for us, we live for him, we endure, we continue to follow after him despite being pulled in different directions. We follow after him and him alone when we see the work that he has done for us. But today I want to ask a question. If the Christian life is like running a race, what are we running towards? I really like that illustration that's used by this author uh, describing the the Christian life, uh, following after Jesus, enduring as running a race, because it's something that we 
are doing. When you're in the race, you are always running. There's never a time when you're stopping. And in following after Jesus, we're always going after him. We're not stopping that. It's something that requires endurance. It requires uh, continuing to do the race, even when it seems like there are other things that we might, might want to do instead. It would be so much easier to stop. But because of Jesus, we continue to endure. But we can only do this if we know what we're running towards. See, there's some people... Uh, these are uh, weirdos uh, who just like running f- even when there's no reason for it. Uh, they just, they don't need to have a goal. They don't need to have any purpose. They could just go out there and run. Crazy people. Uh, me, on the other hand, I always need some sort of reason to do so. I need a sport to where my competition can kick in, and that keeps me running. I need some sort of goal, like, hey, if I go out and run a mile, I can eat more calories than I burned off in ice cream afterwards because, you know, I earned it. Or I need a, some sort of target. Oh, just one more lap, one more lap out there. Or some one chasing after me with a knife. I just need some sort of reason to be running. And as we're looking at why do we run this race with endurance? Why do we live this Christian life? We've been given multiple reasons as to why we do so. We do so because as we see the person and work of Jesus, we've spent so much time seeing who is Jesus, what has he done for us. When we see his grace and love and mercy more and more clearly, there is no other path for us then to follow after him. Nothing satisfies like Jesus does. That's a reason to run. We talked in Hebrews chapter 11 about how we have this great cloud of witnesses, people in our life, examples in history who have lived by faith, and that helps us to endure as well. But our passage today, in Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, it gives us another reason. It shows us what we're running towards. It shows us the finish line. And as we continue to follow after him, as we run this race with endurance that we are called to run towards, it gives us a reason to because we get to see the joyous place where we are going. To emphasize and show us more clearly how great this finish line is, how uh, or where it is that we are running to, we first see in Hebrews chapter 12 where we are not going. So where are we running to? Well, we are not running to an earthly place of fear. We are not running to an earthly place of fear. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, For you have not come. So where are we running? We are not going here. We are, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If a beast touch, touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, this is another one of those situations where we don't know the Old Testament as well as the original audience did. Uh, I know that's making an assumption, but keep being proven every time we come across these passages, so I think it's a fair assumption to make. I also didn't know where these came from, so this is where study is helpful. But we don't have that background in the Old Testament like the original audience had. When they heard these details, and, and look at them again, when they heard these details, what may be touched a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, trumpet, a voice. 
When, when they heard all of these details, they would have known what that was in reference to. So we, we had the list there. We're going to keep it up for a little bit. But so they had this background. They would have known what was being talked about. It, it's, it's like if I did this. So um, I was at this place. It's, it's outdoors, surrounded by just a ton of people. Uh, it's about 30 minutes outside of Denver. It's got this booming sound system, this incredible light performance that just illuminates the surrounding area. But you don't even need to illuminate it because it's just so naturally colorful there. What place am I talking about? Red Rocks. We know that. We're in this area. But if I take all those details and talk to someone in Azerbaijan, they're probably not going to be able to put together what I'm talking about. We don't have that shared experience. The author and the original audience had that shared background. So when they say all of these details, the audience would know exactly what's being talked about here. Where are we not running to? Well, the audience could put that together. To get on that same footing, we're going to go and look at where we can find these details. They're in a couple different places in the Old Testament, but I want to go just to Exodus chapter 19 because we can see all of these. And to show my work, we're going to keep these seven descriptions, these seven details on the right-hand side as we read through parts of Exodus 19 to show where they're coming from. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, and as we're doing so, I want to try to place where we're at in God's story at this point. So uh, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, to this point, God has identified a people group that he will work through to which all of the world will be able to see and glorify his name. And he's working through this one people group, but they, at the start of Exodus, are in slavery in Egypt. And it's hard to reach the world when you are stuck in one place in bondage. So God rescues them, showing his power and his ability. He's bringing them to a land that will be their own, where God will be their God, and they will be his people. And along the way, God stops at this mountain, Mount Sinai. And from here, God has demonstrated how does a broken uh, sinful, sinful people react to a holy and good God. Look at Exodus uh, 19, verse 12. This is what it says. Uh, so God is speaking to Moses, who is leading the people at the time, representing the people to God. Uh, God says this to Moses, You shall set the limits for the people all around the edge of Mount Sinai, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. So here we, we see that word touch that was being talked about back in Hebrew. So, and what this is, is showing to us is God is so holy, God is so perfect, God is so good, that if anyone was to go and even touch the mountain that he was residing on, well, that, was, that was death. He was just so perfect that to be anywhere near him was just it was an end of life at that point. He is just so otherwise good that us being anywhere near him, it's as if you're in like just blinding light where God is just so pure and holy that it just obliterates everything that isn't around him. And, and what Hebrews is talking about, we're not going to a place that can be touched. It, it has this in mind, but it's also, this was a physical mountain, the place that we are going to is not a physical place, but even if, we, even if we were, if we were going to a place that could be touched and felt and actually walked on, if that is where God's presence is, we can't go anywhere near it. To touch that mountain means death. Uh, pick it up in Exodus 19, verse 16. 
Uh, it says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. It says a lot, like a storm or a tempest, right? Thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a gloom, you could say, and a very loud trumpet blast. A uh, trumpet, we could also say, uh, trumpet, it was that exact same word in Hebrews 12, uh, a trumpet blast, so that all the people of the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, which would create darkness. Wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in a fire. And to produce that much fire, it's got to be a blazing fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and when the Lord called Moses with a voice, the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So we see all of the details that are coming out of, out of Hebrews 12, these seven descriptions of this place where we are not running to. It, it should make us think of Mount Sinai, how God appeared to people before, his presence that is so holy and perfect is good that you can't even get near it, that it's causing just changes in the environment because of his presence. And Look at what the response of the people throughout all of this it says that they trembled. Uh, Hebrews references this. There's another part in the Old Testament where uh, the people go up to Moses, who Moses is the one representing the God. He's the one going into his presence. Uh, they go up to Moses and say, yeah, why don't you keep doing that? We just can't handle all this. So you keep going on our behalf. We're going we're gonna to stay back over here. And, and even Moses, and it talks about this, Moses trembled with fear at the presence of God. So what do these seven details tell us? That going into God's presence essentially said this, do not enter. No trespassers. It is a smite on sight policy. So why do we draw near to that God? It says to draw near. It says to run towards him with confidence. And yet there's no confidence in any of this description. Why do we want to be anywhere near this God when it just, it, this is the picture of what his presence is like? And so if there's something that's different, is it that God has changed? Was he just being mean before? He didn't want anyone near him, but now he's softened a little bit in the New Testament? That's not it at all. God is still this holy. He wasn't being mean, stay and stay away. It's for our safety that we stay away. He is just so holy and perfect that when we get near him, it obliterates everything that isn't holy and perfect, which would be us. He's still the same God on this mountain. It is still this dangerous for us to enter into God's presence. He is still this earth shattering around him. He is still the same God. So what has changed? Why can we draw near? We have. Our status before this God has changed, that because of Jesus, we are not running towards this earthly place of fear. Instead, we are running towards a perfect heavenly place. Uh, let's flip back to, to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22 says this. It says, but you have come. So remember, you have not come to Mount Sinai, that, uh, that uh, earthly place of fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. 
the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of, angel, uh, of Abel. We have not gone to the first place. We have gone here. This is the finish line. The book of Hebrews has been all about how Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. That his work, his person is so good that it is worth pursuing rather than anything else. And while there's grace and salvation and mercy in the Old Testament, there is that. It all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So the destination, the place that Jesus can bring us to, the place that he tells us to run, what we are running towards, that is better as well. Well, what is it that makes it better? Just as there were seven details given to us about Mount Sinai, these quotations from the Old Testament, we have seven details here about uh, Mount Zion. Did I say that there were Mount Sinai before, Mount Zion, uh, Zion now? There are seven details given about Mount Zion that make it better. First, it is true and genuine access to God. This mountain is the place of the living the living God, where before we could just stand at the base of the mountain in fear and trembling, not being able to enter in. Now we have, because of Jesus, access to this God. And we've been saying time and time again that this is the cry of our lives. We were designed to be with this God. We were designed to be near him, but because of our sin and rebellion and fallenness, we couldn't get anywhere close. At best, we could stay at the foot of the mountain, but even that was too much at times, but that is not the case anymore because Jesus has come, because he has changed our status with God, because he has been perfect and given us that righteousness that he has earned, because he has taken our sins from us, we can now enter into access. We can have access with this God. That is what we're running towards. And even that name Zion shows this truth to us. Zion in, in uh, the Old Testament was originally the, the, one of the mountains that Jerusalem was, one of the hills that Jerusalem was built on. But then it started to become synonymous for Jerusalem itself. So, oh, I'm going to Zion. You meant Jerusalem. Oh, I'm in Jerusalem. You could also say Zion for that. But then as the Old Testament continued on, there started to be this new hope for it. Zion was this future place. Zion was the location where God would keep all of his promises. Zion would be the place where God would be the God of his people, and they will be his people once and for all, which was supposed to be the promised land, that didn't happen. Which was supposed to be the renewed uh, Jerusalem with a new temple, and that didn't happen. There's always been this promise of there will be a time when God will be God, uh, their God, and they will be his people. This great intimate connection, well, that was going to happen at Zion. And what is our destination now? No less than that. No less than the place where God will keep all of his promises. And that is on offer because of Jesus. So we run to a place that is better because it's Zion. Because it's the place where we have access to God. Number two, why is this a better destination? Why is this a better ending point? Well, it is a joyful assembly festal celebration, a festal gathering. So think of what we saw on that first mountain. What was the response of the people? Fear, trembling, 
death do not enter. But now we are told that these angels are gathered in this festal gathering, this uh, celebration, this joyful experience that is being had. There's thousands and thousands of angels. There are people, we'll talk about the people in just a little bit. There are people gathered with them, all in this joyous celebration at this place, at this destination, at this endpoint. And I think this is such a good correction for us. I think too often we still think of God at Mount Sinai and that is our relationship with him. We get the whole brokenness of the world thing. We get the sin. Like It, it doesn't take too much to look at this world and realize there's something that ain't right here. It, it doesn't take too long to look at our life and realize, man, we are falling short of our own standard, let alone a perfect God's. Uh, and then when we get that Jesus has done all the work so that we could be saved, that shapes us, that impacts us, but we still think of this endpoint uh, with a God who is on top of Mount Sinai, that's so in, in unapproachable, that's so mysterious and, and different. He is those things, but we have been changed, and that is a cause for joy. Or we think of this endpoint, this future that's on hold for us as something so sterile and pious uh, that, that it just we get a weird picture about it. There's this image that, that I came across this past week, and it was uh, a bunch of white people in white clothes with their hands clasped together, and this is a picture of what heaven looks like, and everyone was talking, like, I'm not sure I want to go to that place. And what's great is that's not the place that we're told that we get to go to. This is a joyous celebration. It is a festal gathering. This is the end of the race, and it is a time of excitement and joy that is beyond belief. This is the end of the race. I mean, just even think of, of the pictures that we have of, of, of people running a race now. Think of the Olympics where you have this person who has run. There is a crowd gathered in this, this stadium just celebrating like crazy. You have tears. You have people hugging each other. And, and for me, where I'm stuck at home, where I'm nowhere near it, and I forgot this person existed for four years until they popped up at the next Olympics, where I don't know anything about them because I had forgotten it, where I'm just sitting on a couch and I'm not in that room it still has an impact on me. That is how joyous this celebration is for this person who has run the race. That is the picture of where we are going. It is a festal gathering, a joyous celebration, and that is why this is better. This is what we're running towards. Three, we have a mention in the passage about the firstborn, and that makes it better. We came across the, the phrase firstborn back in Hebrews chapter 1 to talk about Jesus. That as a firstborn, which is a position of, of uh, honor, it is a position of authority, the firstborn would inherit everything. So uh, it was talked about how Jesus inherited all the promises of God. But what he also does is he makes us firstborns as well. He brings us into God's family so that we can inherit all of those blessings and promises. So as we run to this place, as we get to Mount Zion, we receive everything that has been promised to us. And here is, is the great truth of this. We don't just go for a day. We don't show up and we get a visitor's badge. We don't get to go to this party, this joyous celebration, and then we have to leave and go to something else afterwards. No, 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 you live here now. This is yours. You belong. 
This is a party that you are part of and you get to be part of it forever. We have that phrase in there, enrolled in heaven, uh, talked about. So the firstborn, those enrolled in heaven, and this reinforces this idea. See, in, in the Roman society, uh, when a, uh, someone was a legitimate child of a Roman citizen, you, that parent would go and enroll them within the first 30 days of their birth. And what this would do is it would take this child of a citizen and it would give them citizen status as well. They were just as much a citizen as their parent was. And you even got this certificate and everything. And this had nothing to do with what the child had done. So it was within the first 30 days that they were born. You don't really accomplish much in your first 30 days. It was all based off of who their father was. And because you have a great father in heaven, who you are enrolled in heaven, you receive that citizenship. You as sons and daughters belong here, forever citizens of Mount Zion. And that makes it better. Fourth detail as to why this is a better finish point, why this is a better place that we are running to. It says God is judge. And this reminds us of the truth that God will make all things right, that every pain will be accounted for, every pain will be fixed, every evil will be accounted for, every injustice will be made right, that God is the judge. Fifth It says that we are united. Uh, It talks about how we are united with those heroes of the faith. It says that we are with the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And again, this takes us back to Hebrews chapter 11, where we read through and we had all these examples of people in the Old Testament who lived through horrible, horrific circumstances, and yet they remained faithful throughout. They are our examples of faith. They are heroes of the faith. And it says at the end of of that section, at the very last verse of, of Hebrews chapter 11, this is how they're described in verse 40. It says, since God has provided something better for us, those of us on this side of Jesus, that apart from us, they, our heroes of the faith that died before Jesus, should not be made perfect. Uh, really quick, we already explained what this is, but this is, there is no source of salvation uh, for those uh, other than the ones that we have. So uh, those who are faithful, they are carried through because of the work of Jesus as well. But then think of how they were described here in, verse, in chapter 12. It says, we are uh, with the spirits of the righteous made perfect perfect. It's the same language. So it's talking about those who came before, those who ran the race by faith, those who followed after, after God, remaining faithful to him despite obstacles, despite being pulled in different directions. Those are waiting in Mount Zion. We will be joined with them as well. We get to be with those who have come before, united because of Jesus. That is what is waiting for us as well at that finish line. Sixth reason, it talks about Jesus is there. Now, I want to talk just for a little bit to to the introverts in this room. Uh, You you might be looking through this list of people. Wow, it's a party, and it's full of thousands and thousands of angels and people. Like, this this doesn't sound like the great time that I was hoping for. just, Just focus on one name that's going to be there. Jesus. Jesus that without whom there is nothing worth celebrating. Jesus, that without whom we're still at the foot of a mountain trembling with fear. 
Jesus, that without whom we have no hope to gain access to God, to quell that part that cries on to be reunited with our creator that is in every bit of creation. But we are promised that in this place, at the finish line, waiting for us, is the Jesus who makes all this possible. Seventh, we talk about the blood of Jesus. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about this in chapter 9, so not going to go too much on it, but we, we came to the conclusion that through Jesus' blood, we are made clean, we're made perfect, our status has been changed. That is the reason why we can enter into God's presence. But then we get that little bit here where it's compared to the blood of Abel. And again, this might not be something that we know, so just one more reminder, read your Old Testament. Uh, but as you go to the Old Testament, the, uh, Abel's character there, uh, he's killed, and, and his blood is described as crying out for vengeance, seeking vengeance. So what are we told here? There's no more vengeance. There's no more need for any of that because we have the blood of Jesus. There's no more pain or hurt, just the joy of being in Mount Zion. There's no more need to endure because endurance has carried us to the finish line, to this place that is better. That is what we're running towards. We're told that we have need to endure. We're told that this uh, life is like a race and there are so many reasons to be pulled off track. There are so many things that look like they might be better uh, in the short term compared to Mount Zion waiting for us. There, there are so many things that, that might tempt us to go to something else. There, there are so many reasons to just quit. And yet when we see the destination, when we see the finish line, we can have hope. Hope. We can have hope to endure, to get to this place that is so glorious and wonderful and awaiting for us. And yet here, I think, is a great truth as well. This isn't just for some later date. We aren't just running this race now because someday there's going to be joy for us. Someday things will be good. We have this now. Every time we gather, we are participating in Mount Zion. There's, there's a lot that happens whenever Christians get together. Whenever we're here on a Sunday, when, uh, on Wednesday nights when this room is full of our, our students, when we're in our life groups, there, there's quite a few things that happen. We, we stir each other up. We uh, help each other learn and grow, uh, and, and we encourage each other to help others to do that as well. We come here and we uh, are refreshed, we're recharged. It's a place to lament and mourn. There's a lot that happens when Christians gather, and yet we also see that we are participating in Mount Zion as well. Because look at the passage. You, you guys like grammar, right? Ah, who am I? What am I saying? Everyone likes grammar. So let's look at uh, verse 22 again. Verse 22 says this, but you have come. Look at verse 28. It says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving. That's present tense. This isn't, we will come let us be grateful that we will receive a kingdom that hasn't been shaken. This is something that is on offer now. 
those who are in Christ have Mount Zion now and the benefits that come with it. Well, how can this be? We aren't face-to-face with God now. No, but we aren't scared at the base of a mountain either. We have access to God. We can know and be known by God now because of the work of Jesus. We aren't at this joyful celebration with all the heroes of the faith now. No, but we are told that they are a cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we are running the race, excited for the day that we join them. We aren't worshiping with this this myriad, the thousands of thousands of angels now. Wait, aren't we? When we gather at that same time, Jesus is receiving praise for the certain victory that he will accomplish in the future. As we gather, there is praise and worship in heaven now because God is always deserving of that. So as we come together, when we sing, it's not just us in a room together. It's really easy to just focus on why I'm here with these 60 or so people worshiping God. No, no, no. We are joined with every single brother and sister in Christ in every nook and cranny of this planet, worshiping God in song and in a variety of ways. We'll talk about that next week. But we are also joined with the angels who are rejoicing in heaven now. We are participating in that peace now. This is our end goal, our finish line. It gives us hope to endure in this life that is to come, but it is also ours now. We are citizens of Mount Zion now, those of us in Christ. Let, let me try to explain this. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I was a, uh, a greedy little bugger. And you might say, well, what's so different about you now? It's like, well, I'm not a kid, am I? Uh, so I was particularly greedy when it came to Christmas. Uh, like a lot of kids, uh, in my mind, getting more of something meant it was better. And so I would just try to get as many gifts as possible and throw a tantrum if if that didn't work out. 36, but last year, last year I got 37. But then I started to get older and I realized something, that quantity is a game of fools. What you want is quality. And so what I would do is instead of asking for a bunch of gifts, I I would just try to go after one or two larger gifts. A a 25-piece Lego set, that's fine. A 500-piece Lego set, now we're talking. So I, I would just ask for these bigger and bigger gifts every single year. And I remember one year I went down uh, to Christmas and I saw my sisters, they had their large stacks of gifts, those suckers, they didn't know how to play the game. Uh, But I went to my very humble amount of extravagant gifts. But when I got there, I didn't see anything that could fit 500 Lego pieces. And I was outraged. Wait, so I get fewer gifts and smaller gifts? That's not how it's supposed to work. But I opened up an envelope And inside was a picture of the Lego set that I wanted and a tracking number. So my parents had gotten greedy little me, the the set that I had wanted. It just wasn't here yet. So here's my question. What did my parents get me for Christmas that year? The, The Lego set. But I didn't have it in my hand. Did that change anything? No, they had still gotten me that. That was my Lego set. It it was true of me at that moment. That was mine. It was just something that I would have and hold later on. You Christians, 
You are citizens now of Mount Zion. That is true of you. You will see and experience it in the finish line that is to come as we run this race with endurance. As we arrive, we are there. But we are part of it now. We have this truth about us now. And as we recognize this, I I really think this shapes us. I want to be a church that is defined by the realization that we are part of a citizenry that is to come, that is now. As people walk in the doors, they see us full of joy, not because we're faking anything, not because we're putting on airs, but because we recognize all that's been done for us, because we recognize a joyful future that is to come that's just spilling out onto us now, that we are realizing those truths for our lives now, even though they are yet to come. I want people to come in and see uh, people helping other people, not to get others into their debt, but because we have been so relieved of a tremendous debt ourselves that there's just no other reaction now but to help others and care in the same way we have been cared for. I want people to see us worshiping with uh, exhilaration, whether it's in song or some other way, because we, of, we are so grateful of what Jesus has done and we are so longing for what Jesus will do that it's impacting how we are living now. I I think this completely shapes how we live, knowing what the end is, knowing that we are citizens now of Mount Sinai, as this passage says that we are. It shapes us. I saw this when I was in Sweden. I got to help lead a missions trip uh, there, and um, Sweden is a really difficult place to do ministry. There's been so much that's wonderful that's come out of this country for Jesus. One, one of the things that's come out of it is the denomination that we are part of. Calvary Bible Church is, is uh, built on a denomination founded by Swedish uh, individuals. And so when we talk about that great cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on, that's helping us to endure, there's a lot of Swedes in that cloud for us. And yet when you go to that country now, there are very few who go to or see the value of going to a church. And we went there just to encourage these leaders in this network of churches that were out there and and, uh, had high hopes of what we're going to be able to do. And I started having these conversations, and it just, it rocked me. I didn't know how to encourage them. I just kept hearing story after story of how disheartening it is. that They were working for years, and no one had come. No one was following Jesus. After years, like that, that is so hard to hear those stories. And, and I just, I, I was quiet. I didn't know what to say. I, like, how do you encourage someone when, like, yeah, cheer up, buddy, for, because nothing's going to change. It's still going to be really hard. Like, that's, that's hard encouragement to give. But then we sang together. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, came alongside each other and remembered that we are part of something greater now that is to come. That in the midst of all these discouragements, we can encourage one another because we have such a great high priest who has worked, who is working, who will work for us. That as we came along together, we were participating in the worship that is going to Jesus now that we will continue to joyfully do into eternity. 
that as we came alongside of each other in worship and reverence, which our passage says is the only possible response to seeing this work that God has done, as we came together, it shaped us because it pointed us to a greater truth that while there is hardship, while there is temptation to turn away from Jesus, while there is uh, so many reasons to give up, as we remind each other of our citizenry now in Mount Zion, it helps us to endure. I still remember some of the words that we sang in this room together. Just the resound, we, we cut back, uh, I was part of the band, we cut back uh, on the instruments, just the voices echoing throughout this room as we remembered this truth that there is so much hardship in this world, but we have been given access to God, that we are called firstborns enrolled in this citizenry called sons of God, not standing at the base of a mountain in fear, but given access to know and be known by God. We sing these words in that trip. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's who we are. It's what happens when we gather together. That's the reminder that we don't have to be trembling at the presence of God. We are given access to it. So you Christians... You are enrolled in an unshakable, joy-filled, wondrous, glorious, raucous, greater kingdom to come and now. And there is no other response than to worship the Jesus who makes all that possible. One of the ways that we worship Jesus is we take communion. It's a, a practice that goes all the way back to when Jesus was